Get ready because I want to ask you a question in Latin. Queen Elizabeth used this expression during the year 1992 when things didn't quite go according to plan. For example, her Windsor Castle home was almost destroyed by fire and the marriages of three of her children collapsed. So do you think that this has been an animus horribilis, meaning a horrible year, a year of disaster or misfortune? On the other hand, to use another Latin phrase, has your year been an annus mirabilis, meaning a year of wonders, a wonderful, outstanding year? Actually, it all depends upon your perspective. If you're a pessimist or an optimist, if you are a person of faith or, God forbid, a person with little faith. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. 2020 has been a challenging year for all of us. But through it all, we have continued the ministry of Jerusalem Channel. Not just video teachings and our informative news and analysis website, exploits.tv, but also new projects. But as we approach the end of the year, we need your help to keep us going and growing into 2021. Please consider a year-end gift of support through our website, the Jerusalem Channel mobile app, or by mail. And thank you for standing with us as we raise awareness of Jerusalem and the soon coming of King Messiah Jesus. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Out in California, which has suffered much from the state's government COVID restrictions, pastor and author John MacArthur told his congregation that today's world, with the virus spreading through every country and governments ordering citizens to stay home, our world seems perfectly suited for the Antichrist to come. John MacArthur is a pastor of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, and he made his comments during a Sunday evening service in which he discussed COVID-19, government restrictions, and the scripture's view on such matters. The world's governments, MacArthur said, have done something that's never been done in human history. That is, they have made the issue and the response global, he asserted. Now we are a global world. And that's a sure setup that we've been waiting for throughout redemptive history since the Lord promised that there would come in the future an Antichrist who would have a global government. Pastor MacArthur went on to say that this is the first time in his lifetime when elected officials literally have such power over people globally that the population can be shut down. And this very much suits the world of the Antichrist. Because as you look at the book of Revelation in the Bible, there's predicted the mark of the beast, a number. And if you don't have that mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. You just won't be able to exist in the future. Furthermore, the government and big tech have access to all of your data. This is the kind of world that appears to be perfectly suited for the Antichrist to come. 
bringing a certain amount of peace, but then the world will fall at his feet. But Pastor MacArthur said he will be the instrument of Satan. And of course, all hell will break loose. And in that time of the great tribulation, God's judgments will come before Jesus thankfully returns. Indeed, many of today's events mirror those prophesied in scripture. Now, the year 2020 has left a lot of scars, according to an article by Professor Victor Davis Hanson, a great commentator. And the scars are quarantines, riots, and arson, and an absence of confidence in the sanctity of voting in the United States. Will we ever again be able to trust election results? Professor Hanson wrote that amid plague, national lockdown, riots, and arson, and the most contested election in American's history, the United States is one country that has been especially scarred in 2020. Of course, he was writing for secular publications, but the scars could just as well be described in biblical language as birth pains, portending the end of days and the imminent return of the Lord. Using the pandemic as an excuse, to never let a good crisis go to waste. Election day, as we once knew it as a single day, was stretched out for weeks due to mail-in ballots and a lot of illegal ballot harvesting. COVID-19 protocols resulted in vast changes in previous voting norms. Under the old system, voters showed their IDs as if they were cashing a check. They had their names checked against voting rolls and they were directed to a booth with a paper ballot, and the election was decided by the night's end. But unreliable voting machines and software that can be manipulated brought the whole process into disrepute in 2020. Another scar mentioned by Professor Hansen that I'm gonna call a birth pain leading up to the Great Tribulation in the future was the disturbing trend of when somehow looting became legal. Legal looting is an oxymoron, and yet it's happened. America has seen violent protests throughout its history and sometimes accompanied by opportunistic rioting, looting, killing, and arson that often overwhelm police, the state guard, and even federal troops. In the mid to late 20th century, the result in cities from Los Angeles and Detroit to Baltimore were areas of unrest that for brief periods became effectively no-go zones. But the recent destructive rioting in Seattle, Washington and Portland, Oregon and New York during the summer of 2020 brought three new strange developments. First, Professor Hansen observed local and state authorities did not regularly try to suppress the violence. Instead, they either sympathized with the complaints of lawless rioters or found the general chaos and sense of unrest helpful for the Democrats leading up to the November presidential election. In the past, on rare occasions, authorities and police had sided with the rioters. But rarely in modern times have authorities abdicated and let a so-called Lord of the Flies mentality take over their downtowns. But that's what Seattle, Washington officials did when they allowed a so-called 
autonomous zone in the middle of Seattle this past summer. A second trend, when violent demonstrators, arsonists, and looters were on rare occasions arrested, in most cases they were released by local and state public prosecutors, many of whom clearly sympathize with the use of violence. And the result was a crash in police morale. To arrest a violent offender was simply deemed a waste of time and a waste of resources, given the likelihood that the rioters would never face the consequences for their actions. America's criminal justice system became warped. Now there was good and bad looting, permissible and outlawed arson, correct and incorrect resisting of arrest, and quarantine violating mass rioting that was exempt from lockdowns. Now third, again quoting Professor Hansen, a third trend, many Democratic mayors showed themselves to be avowed revolutionaries at war with their own police departments, or at least those police other than their own security details protecting their families and property from the lawless rioters. They in fact were empowering. The bottom line is that there's no longer the rule of law as we once knew it in many cities. According to the Bible, the root of all lawlessness is rebellion. And when a society ignores the law, lawlessness is the result and chaos ensues. 1 John 3, 4 defines sin as lawlessness, saying everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. To commit sin is to be lawless. That is, the sinners, the rioters, break God's law. In this way, lawlessness becomes a rejection of God. And one day, the Bible says, Satan will empower the Antichrist, who is called in Scripture the lawless one, whose rise to power will be according to the working of Satan himself. Now, in the Bible, in the time of the judges, after the death of Moses and Joshua, the society was marked by upheaval, oppression, and general disorder because there was a frequent phrase, in those days everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's sounding way too familiar with the behavior of people now because the Bible says in the end times there will be increasing lawlessness. And the escalating lawlessness that we have been witnessing is an effort to create more lawlessness by taking the restraints away. This is a world that could find itself in such absolute chaos that the satanic leader who promises to fix everything could be given the title of the king of the world, the Antichrist, who aided by his false prophet is foretold in the book of Revelation. We already have the kind of weaponry in this world that could wipe out much of the population as is prophesied in the book of Revelation. And we have the kind of technology that can literally erase people out of existence. So it's up to us as intercessors, as people of faith, to be sure that we're watching the signs of the times. Jesus said, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. So our mandate is to perform watchful living 
accounting carefully for the stewardship of the talents the Lord has given to each and every one of us. This year, another dangerous scar or end-time birth pain has been the deliberate erasing of our history. In his article, Professor Hansen, who's an historian and a scholar of the ancient Greek and Roman classics, noted that this year, as we witness the toppling of monuments that coups, revolutions, and civil wars describe former heroes as tyrants by self-described liberationists, reformers, and activists. By the summer of 2020, the left was well beyond defacing, toppling, and destroying statues of mere Confederate generals. Defacing became redefined as the good ruining of public property. The mob had gone on to decry dead white males in general, whether it was Christopher Columbus or the great liberator Abraham Lincoln. What was new was that mobs could destroy or deface any statue or icon they wished, seemingly with impunity. Professor Henson wrote that for the foreseeable future, no civic government or municipality will erect a statue without first informally consulting the local antifa thugocracy. Hundreds of statues are now hidden away in sheds and storage places, apparently on the chance that a saner generation one day may resurrect them as reminders of 21st century mass insanity. While the cities of the East and West Coast became mostly left-wing, yet the interior states in the United States, those in between the oceans, are still what feed, build, and fuel America. The interior is where the food grows. Oil and gas gets pumped. Timber is cut. Cement, steel, and building materials are fashion. During the COVID-19, the abyss widened between the so-called Zoomers, who often stayed home and enriched Amazon and various delivery services. The others kept driving trucks and spent their savings and borrowed to save their small businesses. Millions lost their jobs while millions made more than ever. So what will people need when the economy collapses, jobs are lost, and bills are piling up? Prophetic preacher David Wilkerson of Blessed Memory asked that question in a sermon. Will people need to be part of a nice, fast-growing church, hearing messages on how to enjoy life? Or will they need real biblical answers? For sure, they're going to need voices with authority who can interpret what's happening. Someone who can read the times and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. They'll need a word from heaven to keep their hearts and minds in the peace of God. In fact, the great man of God, George Mueller of Bristol, England, once said something that I'd like to take on as a personal motto. He said, the first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to be sure that my soul is happy in the Lord. Amen. Simple but profound. We just have to check ourselves out every day and see to it that we're not given over to depression, frustration, fear, or negative thoughts, but that our mind and spirits are controlled by the positive words in this book. 
that we're living in faith and not in unbelief. We have to pull ourselves out of wasted emotions and seek godly counsel of mature believers rather than sink down in despair. Jesus, although he was God in the flesh, nevertheless, to qualify as our Savior, he had to face the devil as a spirit-empowered man, and he didn't fight Satan on any other grounds. And he gave his followers the same capacity to deal with the powers of darkness, with his authority. Because Matthew 10:1 says, and when he had called his 12 disciples together, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all kinds of disease. Furthermore, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means harm you. And the book of James in the New Testament reminds us that the great prophet Elijah was a human being just like us, yet he prevailed because of his prayer life. And the apostle Peter was also a human being just like the rest of us, yet he wielded spiritual authority over the powers of darkness. For example, Peter commanded the lame beggar at the temple gate, in the name of Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in Acts chapter 3, the cripple was instantly healed and went with Peter and John into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when the people saw him leaping and praising God, they recognized that he was the same man who used to sit begging at the beautiful temple gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at his miracle. But nowhere in the Bible is there any suggestion that this same power would be withheld from believers today. We need God's power and help more than ever. We have to continually keep in mind that our lifestyle is one that doesn't depend just on cleverness or university degrees or our youth or our old age and maturity, but rather our lifestyle should continually operate in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and a demonstration of the Spirit's power operating through and within us. We have to say with determination, even when we don't feel like it, it is well with my soul. God has empowered me to be an overcomer and I will believe in and trust in his word in every crisis. I'm going to walk in the spiritual authority Jesus has bequeathed to his followers. You see, God has always had his people who do exploits directed by himself, which brings me to the story of Hanukkah, which usually happens this month of December, although it follows the Hebrew calendar. Think of the conquest of Jerusalem by General Edmund Allenby. It happened during the Jewish festival of Hanukkah and the December 2017 timing of President Trump making good on his promise to recognize Jerusalem and to move the American embassy to Israel's capital. That proclamation happened during Hanukkah. We have to fast forward 100 years from 1917 when General Allenby made a conquest of Jerusalem to 2017 when President Trump officially recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Were the events cosmically connected? Did the president's proclamation portend the rebuilding of the third temple 
as many Orthodox Jews and Bible prophecy students believe? Well, we're certainly living in prophetic, momentous times. I would not call this year an animus horribilis, but rather an animus mirabilis, a miracle year. The name Hanukkah derives from the Hebrew verb meaning to dedicate. It's a Jewish holiday festival that lasts for eight days, commemorating the rededication of the Second Temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Jewish Maccabean revolt against the Hellenistic Seleucid Empire. The Hanukkah holiday is also known as the Festival of Lights because of the miracle of the oil in the menorah. There are several reasons why Christians should embrace this holiday, the Feast of Dedication. First of all, the New Testament makes reference to it in John 10, 22, which says that it was winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, and he was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The story of Hanukkah is preserved in the books of the first and second Maccabees, which describe in detail the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem and the lighting of the menorah. These books are not part of the Hebrew Bible used by modern Jews, although the Catholic and Orthodox churches consider them part of their Bibles. So celebrating Hanukkah is one way of bringing Jews and Christians together as the people of the book. And if Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, as many scholars believe, it's likely that he was conceived in December. So imagine the light of the world being conceived during the Festival of Lights, as Hanukkah is also known. This Hanukkah holiday recalls the Jewish revolt in 164 BC of the Maccabees. They were the biblical Zionists of that time. And they were against the evil Greek king Antiochus. And equally important, they resisted their fellow Jews who wanted Israel to be a nation like all the other nations. So it was a war against the spirit of humanism. And that continues today in both Israel and in the church. Yet we praise God that despite the conflict, Israel and the church still exist and both are preserved by God. Hallelujah. Now the pious Jews rose up and they got behind a temple priest named Mattathias and his five sons, particularly his son Judah, and they fought for their liberation from the Greek empire. Their family became known as the Maccabees meaning hammer, because they struck hammer blows against their enemies. The mad emperor Antiochus, who was a forerunner of the Antichrist, underestimated the will and strength of his Jewish adversaries, and Jerusalem was miraculously recaptured by the Maccabees, and the temple was cleansed, purified from the abomination of desolation, an event that foreshadowed the end times of the Antichrist. And all of this victory gave birth to the holiday of Hanukkah, the name coming from a Hebrew word meaning dedication. Now, fast forward to today. While the Jewish people are basking in the light of their Hanukkah candles, let's ponder the real meaning of this beautiful festival that commemorates the miracle of the triumph of a few, the Maccabees, 
over many enemies, over an empire. It's also a picture of the light prevailing over darkness. Let's remember the dedication and commitment of the Maccabees who carried God's torch, Torah, and truth. And imagine this, breaking news just in time for Hanukkah this year. Jerusalem City of David announced this week that an archaeologist has discovered an oil lamp that's intact and undamaged from the Second Temple period. The small oil lamp dates back to the 1st or 2nd century B.C. between the Maccabean and Roman periods. The exquisite little lamp was found on the old city of Jerusalem's Pilgrimage Road, which extends from the Pool of Siloam to an area adjacent to the Western Wall. Just amazing. Almost daily in Israel, some archaeological discovery defies the denial of Jewish history by the enemies of the Jewish state. Well, as I said, due to the research of various scholars, many of us have come to recognize that it was likely that Jesus, Yeshua, the light of the world, was conceived at the time of this festival of lights, at the time when the temple and menorah lampstand were rededicated. And did Jesus not say that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And in John 8, 12, he announced, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He also said to us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a candle stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. So with those amazing words in mind, let us join with our Jewish brethren, remembering the rededication of the temple and the lighting again of the temple lampstand, the menorah. Let us purpose in our hearts to rededicate our lives to the Lord as his temple. We live in dangerous but glorious days. So I invite you at this time to rededicate your life to the Lord's eternal purposes that involve both the church and Israel. Let us purpose to be ministers of reconciliation, ministers of healing and hope. And in summing up today, I find it so fascinating that one of my favorite hymns written by Horatio Spafford, who moved to Jerusalem, the title, When Peace Like a River, has the familiar chorus, It is well with my soul, based upon the words of faith of an unnamed woman in the Hebrew Bible. But she was able to say by faith, it is well, when she was greatly troubled by the sudden death of her son, whom the prophet Elisha later raised from the dead. However, when we examine the Hebrew text, it doesn't say that she said it is well, but rather she described her state of mind with a singular word in the Hebrew text, shalom, meaning she was at peace and she was whole. Even in the most troubling of circumstances imaginable. So let that be our testimony today. No matter what our circumstances are right now, we can say by faith, it is well, it is shalom. This is, for us, a year of miracles. Well, there's much more to share with you at our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events relating to the church. 
and the Nation of Israel. And at our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, you'll find a big library of free videos to watch. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, and don't forget to upload our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones and tablets. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom.